I'm Brian, a Suns fan since 1983, and you're listening to the Suns Solar Panel Podcast. Welcome to the Phoenix Suns Solar Panel Podcast for the second episode of our three-part series on the trial of Ryan McDonough. I am your judge, Tim Tompkins. Joining us today, the defense, Mr. Greg Esposito. Ahoy, ahoy, Your Honor. And no surprise, the prosecutor in this trial, Mr. Dave King. Hey, 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 how's it going? <laughs> it, isn't that what you want your prosecutor in your town to say the first time uh, you talk? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Sounds like you just, spent, just went on a bender and came in, no pun intended, not a dragon bender, a regular bender, and uh, just decided to come in to prosecute somebody, so... Uh, so before we get into it, uh, we're going to make this intro pretty short, but there is a bit of news with uh, some NBA teams reopening facilities now that the country is beginning to reopen. And Dave was telling us before we started podcasting that the Suns are one of those teams. Uh, yeah. So our facilities, obviously, uh, the Arizona governor has opened up the state again um, for, you know, the, because we've got pretty good numbers on on the infections and, and all that stuff. And it's it's leveling off. Um, so the state is reopening and that includes all the sports arenas and gyms and everything um, as of this weekend. So uh, the Suns facility is open. The Suns organization is keeping tight-lipped about who is coming in for voluntary workouts because they're treating it as a health uh, thing where, you know, if you don't feel comfortable coming in, it's totally okay. And if you do feel comfortable coming in, it's totally okay, and they don't want to stigmatize anybody. So we're not getting names, but I'm assuming most all the entire team is there at voluntary workouts. And the facilities that you're referring to, uh, I can confirm it is the Madhouse on McDowell where – uh, they're doing everything when it comes to working out, uh, training room, all their equipment. Everything is over there uh, in that building as well as the court. So that's, uh, that is their home base uh, through the duration of this summer until their practice facility is, uh, is up and running. It looks like it's still a few months away. We had originally heard August. Uh, my guess is that's still about when they will be able to get in there. So the Madhouse is, uh, once again, the home to the Phoenix Suns during all this. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how much longer we have to wait for an answer on whether the season will resume and how it will resume. Apparently, uh, the commissioner, Adam Silver, said last week, or earlier this week, uh, pardon me, that uh, he's two to four weeks away from making a decision mm-hmm. Uh, players and owners seem to want this to uh, to happen, uh, a resumption of things. And there's one big number as to why, I think. Uh, apparently, if they do not play, uh, they uh, and the playoffs in particular, they would lose $900 million in national TV revenue by not playing uh, the playoffs. Mm. So almost a billion dollars in revenue would go away just from the television side of things and that you know what that tells you they will be playing in a bubble somewhere uh pretty soon to ensure that they get that billion dollars worth of revenue yeah absolutely um uh jared dudley went has gone on a few different radio shows and lately and he has said that um they're definitely going to do either orlando or vegas and it's going to 
happen in probably July. Um, so they, they're just they're, they're trying to stay cautious. If there's another big outbreak of the virus, obviously, then we have to rethink things. But these players feel confident that they can get in their bubble. They can be. Uh, he was saying that he's gonna uh, he's gonna keep LeBron James and Anthony Davis on his Lakers team uh, totally engaged in cards every minute that they're not on the on the practice court, so they're uh, you know playing and and in their arenas so that everybody can stay healthy throughout the rest of the season. Because yes, they'll lose a, almost a billion dollars in revenue if they don't play a playoff. So the NBA will be back. It'll be in its own little bubble, and it'll be either either Orlando or Vegas or both, but almost probably seems more likely that it's going to be Orlando because that's more you're more able to do a bubble. Plus, um, as Tim was just saying before we started recording, Florida is in pretty good shape as far as their um, their health situation with the pandemic. Uh, Florida, Orlando's just the better spot. Um, with Vegas, obviously everybody won't. Well, most people have been in Vegas, especially for summer league. So we're all we're all pretty aware of of what they have as far as capabilities. But Orlando with Disney really does have a town inside of a town with entire um, resorts where you could house teams that are completely cut off uh, in a way that you can't really do in Vegas. Well, and look, they want to reopen Vegas uh, as fast as possible, and if that happens, that bubble goes away in in an instant. Where if they reopen Disney World, they can keep that wild world of sports section still uh, cut off from from everything. Mm-hmm. So Orlando seems like it's just going to be the logical spot uh, to do this. And on the Jared Dudley front, I love J.D. And his sole purpose for that Lakers team should be keeping Anthony Davis and LeBron James <laughs> safe throughout this. If he does anything, uh, he, if he does that and does that well, he deserves a MVP if they win the final. So. <laughs> Andy in the YouTube chat right now says he likes our chances playing in a crowdless bubble, seeing as though the Phoenix Suns seem to do better with the home court without the home court behind him. Oh, look, they've been preparing to, to play in a uh, fanless bubble for the last decade with, uh, with the way that they played. So I, I, they should have an advantage there. Um, uh, I, I do yeah, have and like- also the other thing, I'm sorry, Tim. Mm-hmm. Jared Dudley said that um, they are 100% sure that they're not going to be playing with fans. That's why the bubble will work, um, that they're just going to finish out the season without fans. And he's thinking probably even some of next season will be without fans until there is a vaccine. Uh, Dave, do you have any insight as to whether or not with the Suns it being a voluntary uh, voluntary workout that so they are able to play any sort of you know five on five, three on three, or is it just... Uh, I think all the players are around. So, okay, so... Uh, there's probably rules around who can be there and who can't and, and how many, how close they can get to each other at this point. So no, I don't have that answer. I thought I saw, and I don't know if this a hundred percent applies to Arizona. So, but I did see where some teams, uh, you're only able to do one-on-one kind of stuff. I, th- um, I think that was the NBA. Sure. I think that was the NBA rule. And I don't think head coaches or assistant coaches are allowed as part of it yet. I still think that's limited. Oh, that as, is where I saw. Well. Thank you, Greg. Yes, I read that whole NBA release exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's still there's still parameters on all this and they're trying to ensure that they don't give any team a competitive advantage over a team in a place that can't open. But I did see even though LA is still on lockdown, the Lakers got a special uh, dispensation from the state that they uh, could 
they could open their facility next week. So, uh, so teams are finding ways to work within the rules that that make things okay. Uh, so this is this is the most unique thing we've ever ever seen, and it's going to get more interesting over the next few weeks as these facilities open. As we hear things, I I'm willing to bet we're going to get one or two players that say this isn't worth it to me because we've, we're already hearing that from Major League Baseball, and there seems to be less uh, less chance that there's going to be issue with with Major League Baseball. So I know it's going to be well, going to be inter- interesting how it all plays out. Well, the big difference is obviously um, baseball. You don't have to be close to each other. Yeah. Almost the entire game is played way far apart from each other. But in basketball, I guess the key is basically don't have anyone with the virus and then uh, you can't transmit it to each other. So um, how they accomplish that, nobody has it before they start sweating all over each other is, is the question. And to make sure it doesn't infiltrate later. Yeah. But I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I think, yeah, we're going to have games. They're going to be bubble games, uh, definitely. But we're going to have games in sometime in July, August. They think they can finish the season in two months. I think all 30 teams are probably going to be. Uh, it's a pretty good chance all 30 teams will be involved um, to finish out the regular season because there are teams who have regional contracts who require 70 games to have been uh, recorded or, or, you know, on the books for their, their contracts. So they're going to try to save every bit of money they can. Uh, so I expect there'll be a small regular season and then a playoffs. Give, give me the play in tournament. If these teams need five games, figure out a way to guarantee some kind of five games in some kind of tournament for the, for like the seventh or eighth seed. And I don't, I did hear that was extremely unlikely to happen. I I just, I, I just want, because the thought of, Having to watch five Suns games that we know are are going to be meaningless, and making those those guys travel to Orlando, have to stay in this bubble just to to compete in five games that wind up meaning next to nothing is is a frustrating thought. I'd be excited to get to watch a few more games of Suns basketball, but knowing some people there, you know, people with families and stuff, it just seems almost just wrong to, to to force them to just go play and i get it money's money and but i wish you could have some kind of carrot at the money's end money so you know? also the players don't want to lose any of their money That's so yeah um if the uh, individual teams that don't return could see a reduction in their pay too it's probable that if all 30 my guess is that all if all 30 teams come back they'll get full pay even though they didn't play out the rest of the entire season. Um, so they'll play some portion of it. And my guess is that all the money will be given back to the players or most of it. Yep. So even the Suns players are incented to play out a handful of regular season games. True. Uh, Andy in the chat goes, imagine if we went on a Cinderella run when the season resumed, snuck in the playoffs, went all the way to the finals and actually won our first title. And none of us actually got to be there for it. <laughs> That seems like that, you know, it's far-fetched, but it would also seem about appropriate for uh, somehow a 50-plus year. You know, if, uh, if the drought. Suns were entirely, let's just let's just play that one out, right, Andy? So let's just play that out. If the Suns were entirely enterprising, what they would do is they would buy 20,000 mannequins, <laughs> and they'd put them in the seats at the arena, and then you could 
buy rent one of the mannequins to be you for a game <laughs> i heard uh, one of the leagues is actually doing that one of the uh, i don't know if it's the taiwanese baseball league or yeah the yeah Korean, but uh, i saw that yeah. too yeah mannequins look, in the stands look yeah. if i'm one of these teams i sell some kind of all access behind the scenes a pass where fans can spend x amount extra and get all this extra footage and behind the scenes videos of what's going on and how this bubble's running and you're going to make a lot of your money back that way because people are damn starved for any kind of interesting content and uh and i even at 15 20 bucks a pop i bet people would uh would pay for a subscription to that just because they want it so bad they want something to to showcase this and if i'm the league I'm documenting this entire thing and doing a documentary because we've seen the success of of something like The Last Dance. I think this is the kind of thing you document because we're hopefully we never see anything like this again. So hopefully some unique things come out of it. Uh, I want to know right. again so, if you're in a bubble and you're trying to reduce the number of human beings in in space, do you add whole TV crews? All right, guys, guys, guys. Okay, let's uh, let's get to the trial. Yeah, <laughs> seems like seems like screw this discussion. I'm bored. <laughs> all right, all right, no, not bored. It's supposed to be a short intro. We have a long episode today, and it's, it's not so going to be exciting. That long. And uh, for <laughs> this, I do want to preface this by saying, everybody that is watching live on YouTube right now, you do have a chance to submit follow up questions, um, not for the opening statements, but um, uh, for the uh, middle segment, which is where the prosecutor as well as the defense have their turn to submit evidence. Um, and you also have around at the very end to submit follow-up questions um, after the closing statements. And then we are going to take your vote on who won. Again, this is the trial of Ryan McDonough. And to <clears throat> kind of preface this, what we talked about last week, what was debated was whether or not the Suns were in a better place when Ryan McDonough took over as opposed to when he left. What's important here is, according to the fan vote, the defense did win last week's episode. But this is all going to come down to the final episode tomorrow in this part of the series. Uh, before we get started, I do want to take a, a minute to thank one of our listeners, one of our supporters for supporting the show. Thank you so much, David McDevitt. We appreciate you uh, doing that monthly contribution. If you're watching the show, you feel like you get something out of it, uh, there's a support the show button in the show notes below. So this week, though, we are debating specifically um, whether or not uh, Ryan McDonough's transactions were good. So basically, the argument is he couldn't draft or talent evaluate. We are not going to talk about his uh, uh, interpersonal uh, relations with players. We're going to talk about individual trades, transactions, signings by Ryan McDonough. Um, either side can object, and me being the judge can rule whether or not the argument is allowed. If I rule it's not, you, the listeners, cannot take that into account when you're casting your vote at the end. Um, the opening statements are five minutes. The uh, submission of evidence is 10 minutes apiece, and the closing statements are eight minutes. And I will cut both you guys off because both you guys talk a lot. <laughs> Only one of us says some yeah, stupid things. Yeah, good luck things, trying though. to keep this to uh, twenty-three total minutes, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we, there's there's time for for the jury, the listener, follow-up questions. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, Greg's win bag is going to be twenty-three total minutes all by himself. <laughs> so, okay, let's go ahead and start this off. We're going to start this off with 
the opening statements. The defense gets his turn at the first opening statement. Uh, defense, Greg Esposito, you have five minutes starting now. Your Honor, jury, uh, thank you for your time. I object. I, it's, it's tough being a defensive guy uh, when it comes to the Phoenix Suns, but I'll do my best here. What this uh, portion of the trial really is about is about how Ryan McDonough was able to find talent despite being hindered by numerous factors around him within the organization. It's not about did he get every transaction right, because if you look around the league, no general manager ever hits you know, 75% or 100% of his transactions. 50-year mm-hmm. lucky if you get that. The draft is a complete uh, and total crapshoot. Everybody knows this, right? It's not about perfection here. The defense is going to try to nitpick every little move that was made and try to act as if, uh, you know, well, you know, because James Nunnally wasn't that good, uh, you know, and, and little things that are going to try to cloud the reality of the situation. When you look in totality at what Ryan McDonough was able to accomplish in his tenure, it is not a, an abject failure, which is going to be the argument of the prosecution here. Ryan McDonough, if you look, had six drafts in his time with the Phoenix Suns, and he walked away with four bona fide uh, quality NBA players. You had TJ Warren, you had uh, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton. Two of the four have an opportunity to be genuine stars actual total difference makers on a championship team. Mikhail Bridges has the opportunity to be a defensive stopper and a 3 and D guy, which is imperative in this league if you want to win. And TJ Warren is massively undervalued, and you have to take into consideration that after Ryan McDonough left, you look at it, and James Jones devalued what TJ Warren was worth by flipping him for cash considerations. That's not the value of T.J. Warren. When you look at it, what he did here in Phoenix, what he did in Indiana after he left, T.J. Warren is a quality NBA player. The prosecution is going to try to lead you differently and say that was a failure on Ryan McDonough's part. It wasn't. There's an argument as well that Alex Len uh, is a, a solid NBA player that was drafted by Ryan McDonough, if you look at it. And... I want you to keep in mind one thing, because I guarantee uh, the prosecution will bring up Alex Len as part of his argument. Alex Len uh, was drafted, I believe, four weeks after Ryan McDonough took the job. So we're not talking that he had an immense amount of time in researching that. And if you look at that draft, Alex Len actually is one of the better top, uh, you know, eight picks in that draft. This is a draft one minute defense. when Andrew Wiggins went number one, and Alex Len was rumored to go number one. So if you look in totality, yes, there are misses. There's no doubt. There's there's a handful of, of bad misses in terms of transactions for Ryan McDonough, and I'm not arguing that that isn't the case. That is the reality. But when you look at it, it as a whole, it is not an abject failure, and I will prove that throughout the remainder of the part two <clears throat> of this trial. I, I rest my uh, my opening statement. Thank you, defense. Prosecutor, five minutes. All right. Well, 
first of all, I have to stop laughing at Greg gaslighting Suns Nation, trying to tell us that we're crazy for thinking Ryan McDonough was not a good GM. I think this is ludicrous and hilarious that you're actually uh, trying to turn this into Ryan McDonough was pretty good or okay uh, or uh, not the worst. Objection, Your Honor. I'm not on trial here. Um, no, correct. Greg is always on yep. trial. We need life. to, uh, and also, prosecutor, you need to refer to the defense, um, and not by his first name. Okay, Espo. Espo sucks. Um, you mean is that what you mean? Yeah, your your honor. Uh, I you're I, using I your time. Gaslighting. Okay, no, 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 no. My time. I don't need a lot of time for this. Everyone knows that Ryan McDonough was terrible at the transactions game. After six years of building rosters, he had. Isaiah Kanan as his starting point guard going into 2018-19 season. Six years of building rosters. He went through Eric Bledsoe, Goran Dragic, Isaiah Thomas, Brandon Knight, and he got rid of all of them and ended up with Isaiah Kanan after five years of six years of roster building. He never replaced Eric Bledsoe after three games of running him out the door. Um, he couldn't pick right in the draft. He had, before 2018, when he had all the picks, everything he needed, and he used up all of his assets, uh, before 2018, he had nine first-round picks, and only one of them is still on the team, Devin Booker. And Devin Booker fell in his lap because Devin Booker wasn't supposed to be this good, and he was all that was left at the 13th pick in that, 20, in that 2015 draft. His last roster, after six years of roster building, his last roster... Um, won only 19 games. That was That's absolutely ridiculous. And then all the assets he was acquiring for a few years, remember that? He was building up his asset treasure trove. Suns had the best draft, draft assets in the world. You know what he turned him into? Marquise Chris. That's not... Yes, that's true. He turned in Marquise Morris, Marcus Morris, Isaiah Thomas, and... Um, Oh shit! And Brandon Knight, all into ever all that shit. He turned it into Marquise Chris, no uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and he all that turned it all into Marquise Chris. No, thank you. Ryan McDonough sucked as a GM. The prosecution rests. I don't need any more time for my opening statement. Thank you, prosecutor. Thank you very much as well, defense. Now we are going to move into the second part of the trial. And just as a reminder to the people watching on YouTube, a.k.a. the jury, this is your moment to submit a question to either the defense or the prosecution. After their statements, I will ask the follow-up questions from you, the jury. Again, we are going to start with the prosecution. This time, you have eight minutes to submit your evidence on Ryan McDonough's transaction history, that being trades, actual signings, or draft picks. You have eight minutes. All right. Thank you, Your Honor. And thank you, uh, Defense, for being so bad at your job. Uh, Your Honor, I submit to you the following pieces of evidence. Uh, like I said, in, the, in his first five drafts that he had, uh, Ryan, McD, Ryan McDonough had nine first-round draft picks. Only one of those remains with the team today, and only two of them became regular NBA players that ever played in a Suns uniform uh, because Bogdan Bogdanovich never even played in a Suns uniform because he didn't keep him long enough to put him in a Suns uniform. Uh, so you've got Alex Len. Alex Len was drafted fifth overall. Uh, at, uh, the defense is correct that 
Uh, he was picked at the top of that draft. He was among the top available players in that draft for sure. Uh, but still, you have to be able to evaluate the fact that Alex Len had no backbone and would be a career backup in the league. Uh, then he traded up a pick because he fell in love with Archie Goodwin in pre-draft workouts. Remember Archie Goodwin? Archie Godwin. He had one good summer league, and then he just flamed out his entire career. <clears throat> in his second draft, he surprised everyone by taking T.J. Warren. What was surprising about taking T.J. Warren is T.J. Warren isn't even a modern NBA player. He had plenty of opportunity to take a modern-type NBA player. T.J. Warren is a throwback, um, uh, mid-range shots, all offense, not a good fit um, on, in, in today's NBA, but he still took him and surprised everybody. Then he goes for an undersized point guard, Tyler Ennis, uh, with his second first-round pick in, in 2014. And then his third first-round pick in 2014 was a good one with Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, but then he ended up trading the dude away before he ever played for the Suns. Devin Booker fell in his lap. Uh, uh, fell in his lap, just totally. There was the, Devin Booker, what was, what was on the board? He actually wanted Trey Lyles. And Trey Lyles turned out to be not a good NBA player. Everybody knows that. Um, and he ended up with Devin Booker because all of the, his actual targets fell off the board. He actually wanted Frank Kaminsky with the ninth pick. He offered not as many draft picks as the Celtics did to try to get into that ninth slot. And the Celtics didn't even want Kaminsky. They wanted Justice Winslow. Um, but he wanted to trade up to the ninth spot to get Frank Kaminsky. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. Okay. Then in 2016, he, he goes and takes Dragon Bender, who even... Even uh, even Giorgio's Papianis's dad went into Brightside comments section to tell us how awful Dragon Bender was going to be in the NBA because he was so bad in Europe, and we all ignored him saying he was just a just a hurt father, but he was absolutely right. And then McD trades all of his assets he's been building, and I mentioned this in the opening statement. He traded all of his assets he's been building. He 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 traded the asset he got for Isaiah Thomas, trading him away. The asset that he got for Markeith Morris, the asset that he got for Marcus Morris, and Bogey, Bogdan Bogdanovich. He traded all four of those things for Marquise Chris in the 2016 draft, who couldn't even play basketball. I'm going to let that sit for a minute. Then he hoodwinked himself into taking Josh Jackson in 2017. Josh Jackson can't play basketball. He was supposed to know how to play basketball, but he can't play basketball. Then finally, when he does get his top draft pick after five years of tanking, he gets his top draft pick. He doesn't even take the right number one pick in 2018. DeAndre Ayton is going to be very good. He's going to be great. This is a DeAndre Ayton lover podcast. I totally get it. I am too. But we all know Luka's the better player. And he didn't even take him. And then uh, I could go on. And then he finally got fired after putting together a roster that with all those draft picks, didn't even have a point guard. He had not only Isaiah Kanan as his starting point guard going into the 2018-19 season. It was a broken leg, Isaiah Kanan. Thank you for reminding me in the chat there, guys. I appreciate that. Broken leg, Isaiah Kanan. Even Kanan knew he wasn't ready to play in the NBA. And guess how many games in the NBA Isaiah Kanan has played since he was let go by the Suns a month into the season after, um, after McDonough was fired? He's played zero NBA games. So this is the roster that Ryan McDonough built. It doesn't matter that he wasn't able to sign LeBron James. What mattered is that he wasn't that he let Channing Fry go 
Channing Fry, he let him go for a reasonable contract because he wanted to save money for LeBron James. And then the next year, he signed Tyson Chandler to $52 million. Everyone knew Tyson Chandler was washed up. Everybody knew it. Yes, he could still play some, some basketball, but he was washed up. They signed him so that two hours later they could maybe sign LaMarcus Aldridge. They didn't sign LaMarcus Aldridge. No, because Marcus Aldridge wanted to go to a team that would actually play well. So he screwed up two straight summers when they were somewhat competitive. And I'm not even talking about the 2015 trade deadline yet. Let's get into that now. The 2015 trade, trade Prosecutor, deadline. Prosecutor, you have two minutes. This is all I have to end on. The 2015 trade deadline. I told, I asked Ryan McDonough, do you think your entire legacy with the Suns is going to hinge on how that 2015 trade deadline worked out? He said, no, God, I hope not. Even then, he said, God, I hope not. Well, it does. He trades away Goran Dragic and Isaiah Thomas, both on the same day. He gets back Brandon Knight, who never played another freaking healthy game, almost, for the Suns. Never played more than 30 games, 50 games in a season again. And that's what he gets back, is Brandon Knight. He even traded away his Lakers pick. He traded away Dragic, IT, and the Lakers pick. And then end up using anything he got back on those trades to get Marquise Chris. I rest my case. Thank you, Prosecutor. A reminder to the jury, this is your opportunity to submit questions. You can put them in the chat below. And after the defense gets done submitting his portion of the evidence, we will ask those follow-up questions. We do have one follow-up question from the jury for the prosecutor, but we will do that after the defense has had time to submit his evidence. Defense, it is now your portion of the trial. Your Eight Honor, minutes. Your Honor, thank you. I, I find it interesting that the prosecution's argument is, well, well, look, a bad team. Where in part one of this trial, we've already determined and the jury uh, agreed that he left this team better off than when he started. Uh, dis dismissing what... It, I object. <laughs> It, it's facts uh, overruled when when you look oh, when you look at this I, I also love the argument that well Devin Booker uh, yeah he got lucky if you're going to try to chastise Ryan McDonough for moves you also have to give him credit for the ones that went right and if you look at that Devin Booker is uh, probably the biggest surprise of that draft and they took him saying that they expected him to be Clay Thompson potentially better all right, that was the talk draft night. And, you know, I know because I was in the building. I worked for the team at the time, and that was the talk of that night. So my first piece of evidence is that draft and Devin Booker. You cannot discredit taking Devin Booker, who is now the first true superstar this team has had since Steve Nash left, right? That is a win in Ryan McDonough's transaction uh, column. And I, like I said in my opening, this isn't about perfection. There are plenty of things that Ryan McDonough uh, did wrong uh, in terms of transactions. But if you look at what he was able to turn certain things into uh, in, in these individual transactions, uh, he turns Luis Scola into Gerald Green, Miles Plumley, and a first-round draft pick, all right? Luis Scola, who was washed by the time that the Suns got him. He flipped him for assets that helped them win uh, in his first season there and a first-round draft pick, right? That's that's an impressive move. Uh, this is his first summer, too. He then flips Jared Dudley for Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, 
that Jared Dudley for Eric Bledsoe. And whatever you feel about uh, the end of Eric Bledsoe's tenure, there's no denying that Eric Bledsoe was a significantly better player than Jared Dudley was and continued to be throughout his tenure in Phoenix. I mean, it, uh, we talked about it. He drafted T.J. Warren uh, in in the 2014 draft at number 14. That was a high-value pick. Uh, he was a scorer. He's a guy that came in uh, and played well, continues to in Indiana. And I love that Dave likes to, or excuse me, the prosecutor, forgive me, Your Honor. The prosecutor. Yeah, I object to calling me by my first name. You're the, the prosecutor uh, would like to just wash over the fact that Ryan McDonough scouted Europe and found Bogdan Bogdanovich, drafted him in a draft and, and stash situation with the 27th pick overall. Now, sure, he didn't wind up playing in Phoenix, but that is a quality player and a quality talent evaluation that was pulled off there with the draft pick that he acquired for flipping Luis Scola. So you got to keep that in mind. That was actually a win. He signed P.J. Tucker to a multi-year contract. Now, he didn't discover P.J. That was the previous regime, but he was smart enough to keep P.J. around because he understood the impact that that kind of guy would have on uh, uh, on a roster. Uh, and you want to get into uh, that the trade that was uh, the prosecution's big point here. Uh, you know, my, you look at that, and there are, are circumstances that led to that. And we're going to get into that next week. And then there were issues. But what Ryan McDonough managed to do was take a bad situation and get assets out of it. He wound up flipping a guy who no longer wanted to be in Phoenix for two first round picks in Goran Dragic. He wound up getting Isaiah Thomas, who Everything, if you look at it, was a locker room cancer in Sacramento, was here in Phoenix. Boston didn't hold on to him. Cleveland got rid of his ass as fast as they could. He's He wound up, at the time when he was signed, it looked like a high-value contract. They wound up getting assets out of that contract when they signed him, uh, and and they got rid of him before, uh, you know, when it completely wasn't working. He didn't sit there and try to double down and pound his fist that, I'm going to make this work with Isaiah Thomas. He said, I'm going to get out of it, and he got assets out of it. He turned a bad situation into a positive in terms of, of the assets there, uh, and I, I get the argument and we'll get into it next week the situation around it may not have been ideal but there's people that were more uh were more uh should be held more accountable for that than necessarily him but that'll be an argument for next week 2015 as i mentioned he selects devin booker that's a win you want to rip on the tyson chandler signing and the channing fry letting channing go all the fans were pounding on the table. Everybody in the league said the Suns need to get a seat at the table and go after Big Fish. They needed something to turn this around. Ryan McDonough got them in the conversation with LeBron. He got them at the table with LaMarcus Aldridge. And, oh, here's a little fun fact for everybody, one that I have sourced from multiple sources. It wasn't Ryan McDonough why LaMarcus Aldridge didn't sign here. LaMarcus Aldridge wanted to sign with the Phoenix Suns, and his agent said, as long as Robert Sarver is the owner there, I am telling you, you basically can't sign there, uh, and we're going to have issues if you do. You need to go to San Antonio, a stable franchise. So Ryan McDonough had the fish on the line, uh, the big fish on the line that everybody wanted him to sign, 
wasn't his fault that they didn't actually pull it off. His move to get Tyson Chandler in that meeting was a, a, a move of brilliance because it had LaMarcus Aldridge willing and, and ready to sign here. And the reason that played out as long as it did was the pure fact that LaMarcus Aldridge's agent was influencing him to not sign here due to ownership, not because of the general manager. So two minutes defense. Two I don't minutes. blame him on that. You want to look at he traded a disgruntled and and basically a, a Markeith Morris that was again a locker room cancer, and he got a first round pick out of it within minutes of the deadline that year when it looked like he wasn't going to be able to get anything for for Markeith Morris. So he got that asset. Now, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you uh, and blow smoke up your skirt that Devin, that uh, Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris uh, were a stroke of genius and that it worked out great. What I will tell you is if you look at a guy like a Sam Hinkie, who is praised for what he's done uh, for the 76ers and, and what he pulled off there in in the process and how great it was, Two guys from his tenure are still on that roster, Embiid and Simmons, right? He had more misses in drafts than he had hits, all right? He had bigger failures, arguably, in, more, in, in their draft Less in, than one minute, Philly. defense, less than one minute. So in closing, I think if you look at it in totality, yes, there are rough patches uh, in terms of what Ryan McDonough did, but as a whole— it's not as big as a failure as everybody'd like to look. Just like last week, if he left this roster in a better place than it was when he inherited it, that means he had he had wins in terms of what he was doing. And if this is all about Ryan McDonough failing at transactions as a whole, it's just not factually true. Thank you, defense. Um, presuming that you rest, I rest this part of your case. Yes. Great. Uh, we do have follow-up questions from the jury. I will go in order that they were submitted. This is to both the defense and the prosecution. We'll start with the prosecution. This was from Coach Fallen Founder. He says, isn't Frank Kaminsky the highest graded player on the team? Uh, that was in that was in terms of uh, expectations. If your expectations are that you're going to score one basket in a year, then yes, he's in. That's, that's how we graded Frank as the highest graded player on that team because of those expectations. Um, but yeah, that is funny that, um, that he was uh, a non McD acquisition was the best player on the team last year. I'll let, I'll let Espo the defense take that one. Now you can, he, along with a lot of people like Frank, Frank Kaminsky, in that draft, but who he wound up taking and what actually happened was Devin Booker, and it turned out to be a stroke of, of genius. Eh, you know? and, and Frank wound up here at the end, and I'm on commission. It's not code. genius when something falls in your lap, man. Dave, you of all people should know that you, taking credit for things that fall in your lap is how you get a <laughs> living. Uh, defense that was um, out of line, and I will hold you in contempt of court. Uh, <laughs> if, the if the prosecutor laughs, it's not contempt. Come on. <laughs> from from the jury, this is from Andy. This is a question for the prosecution. And then he does have a separate question for the defense. Andy says, is it fair to hold Ryan McDonough accountable for his time as GM when it was absolutely tainted by Robert Sarver's ever-changing demands and proven bad eggs, a.k.a. Bledsoe, 
Morris and IT? What? Uh, well, that's mine to answer. Um, I'm going to hold McDonough accountable for the things that he did have control over. He, There's no way that Robert Sarver did all that scouting and picked his draft picks. Ryan McDonough convinced Robert Sarver to do a rebuild. Robert Sarver didn't want to, right? So the first couple of years they were trying to win, um, and then they went into a full rebuild, and McDonough came out of that with Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris, and Josh Jackson. That were those were all his picks. Those were not anything Sarver did, and those were the worst part of his entire tenure. So you can't give him a pass for the rest of his tenure if the stuff that he had full control over were the worst parts of his tenure. Now okay. I did hear that the Robert Sarver did play a hand in not working out Jason Tatum. Uh, yeah, but also Danny Ainge said the other day on uh, Zach Lowe's podcast that there was no way Tatum was going past them anyway. They were taking Tatum all the way. It didn't matter if Tatum had gone to his second workout or Watson was trying to work his magic behind the scenes like he did with Josh Jackson. They were trying to basically get Tatum and Jackson to blow off Celtics workouts. Um, they were trying to, to do all that funny stuff. And Jackson was the one who did blow off his second workout, but the Celtics didn't want him anyway. They wanted Tatum. So, yes, uh, Sarver did um, kill that one a little bit, but uh, according to uh, the rumors and all that, is McDonough wanted uh, Jackson anyway. So, look, I just think the worst part of McDonough's tenure are when he did have control. Uh, so you can't give him a pass for everything else. Uh, uh, the next your, question your is honor, for the I... defense is, is coming from Andy as well. Your honor, McDonough was that? asked to build a young team through the draft. Do you think it's unfair to judge him based on that vision never being allowed to fully bloom? Your Honor, may I address the the previous question as well? You may, you may not. Okay, so can you repeat this question <laughs> then? Because I was. Uh, yes, this is from the juror Andy. He said McDonough was asked to build a young team through the draft. Do you think it's unfair to judge him based on that vision never being allowed to fully bloom? Well, I think there's a couple things here. Uh, Ryan McDonough was asked to do multiple things at multiple times. He basically, at, at, you know. Asked to ride, asked to ride two horses with one ass at, 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 throughout this. Uh, at first, we have two cheeks, man. At first, he was uh, he was told by ownership that he wanted he was supposed to try to rebuild. It wasn't supposed to be uh, a a build through the draft. Which you know, I I remember a conversation I had uh, with with the defendant back in his first season with the team. And he said, look, I want to try to build this the way we built the Celtics and, and try to figure out a way to get young talent, but then uh, build that way, keep the pieces that make sense and add to it. He never got the, the full opportunity to do that because he was told that he had to, uh, to try to rebuild rather than, or not rebuild, retool rather than rebuild at the beginning uh, he's saddled with guys like the Morai, which cause all sorts of problems. And that's not saying, again, I'm not saying he was perfect in his transactions. There, there's failures. Uh, there's no denying that. But there's also uh, things that, that were positive. When you look at it, uh, you know, the prosecution is going to uh, tell you, oh, well, look at a bad draft pick, bad draft pick. That, you know, he, when he was building young, he didn't do anything. But if you look at where they are right now, and if you believe this team has a bright future, it's because of Ryan McDonough. DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, all drafted by Ryan McDonough. Uh, and, and so, yeah, he had some misses in that. But at the time, if you go back and look, every draft expert, 
every talking head that paid to be a draft expert praised him for that that draft night of Bender and Chris. They said that he pulled one over uh, on on Sacramento. So everybody was it, it believed that that was a, a a massive amount of young talent, and it didn't pan out. But at the time, it wasn't as if he was getting panned for making uh, making a catastrophic mistake. So I think he had to try to balance an owner's desire at the beginning to try to try to retool his desire to try to build young when he got the opportunity yeah there were some misses there's always some misses when you're doing that but he ha- he's the reason that the young core uh, is in phoenix now thank you the next question this is for the defense as well this is from tc he says please address not just the isaiah canaan point guard situation but the entire point guard situation for the 2018-2019 season yeah, and I can give you an exact uh, exact reason. I don't know if uh, people remember Adrian. I believe it was Adrian Wojnarowski's uh, piece over the last off season talking about the dysfunction in Phoenix. It may have been two off seasons ago. Now it all blends together since we're all stuck in, a, in our houses for uh, forever. It feels like, but uh, well, the judge is not. The judge is in Florida, where we can do whatever the hell we I, want. I guess- I guess I can in Arizona now as well. Uh, anyways, though, uh, it all blends together. Right? It may have been two off seasons ago, but Adrian Wojnarowski wrote a piece about uh, the dysfunction in Phoenix and how it played out and that there was a draft night where other GMs could hear Robert Sarver screaming on the phone at Ryan McDonough while he was trying to get things done. Now, this is that, that's sourced. That's, that's from Adrian Wojnarowski. And I can tell you uh, without a doubt that – he Ryan McDonough had the point guard situation uh, he believed solved on that night. He had a trade approved for Shea Gildress Alexander, and it was a done deal. Uh, and it was overturned, overruled uh, by uh, ownership in that room that night. So he did not believe he was going to go into the season with Isaiah Kanan as his starting point guard. And if you remember, he was fired before the preseason finished, which after speaking with, uh, with multiple people, there was belief that that was not the completed roster that, from a point guard perspective that they were going to go into the season with. So that's kind of a little background on that point guard situation in 2018-2019. Um, if I remember correctly, and I could be mixing the seasons up, but uh, didn't that also, wasn't that the same season where uh, the Suns signed Alfred Payton? No, that was the oh, that previous was 2019, year. 2020? That was 2019-2020? No, they traded for no, Alfred Pay- like Payton at the, uh, at the trade uh, trade deadline. Two, the previous, three years ago. Yeah, the previous uh, uh, offseason, they didn't bring Alfred Payton back. Uh, Suns have I, had a lot of point guards. It's a... Uh, difficult to remember the exact season that one of the 45 <laughs> played for the Suns. One, one more one more point guard uh, uh, comment as well. Eric Bledsoe was brought up and, and the end of that tenure, well, I've, I've reported on this show before, but that was uh, the demand, you know, the quote-unquote salon demand was due to, uh, and, and this... Your Honor, if this crosses into next week, please tell me it's not it's not admissible. But Robert Sarver was actually the reason for that demand, based on uh, telling Earl Watson that he had to fire uh, Rich Paul, 
who was Eric Bledsoe's agent, and uh, and it caused a whole storm. So that that was uh, that was why Eric Bledsoe got traded. And again, uh, you know, you look at it, and McDonough got a first round pick out of that as well. So again, turning a bad situation uh, into at least something when he had no leverage. Okay, now we have uh, four more follow-up questions. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to ask um, both of you to keep your answers to less than 45 seconds. Um, this yeah, is for back. the defense as well. A clarification, this is from TC. Um, actually, no, let's go ahead and skip that one. Uh, it's <laughs> worded funny. Um, okay, uh, another question for the defense. If you believe Ryan did such a good job, then explain the Suns' horrid run under his leadership in 45 seconds. Well, some of that was by design. You can't get higher draft picks if you don't have a poor record. And if you want to get guys at the top of the draft, you're going to have to be able to to be there. I mean, you can't win if you don't if you don't play poorly is basically the way the the NBA draft lottery works and the way the system is right now with the superstars pairing up. You have to you have to find talent through the draft uh, or trade. You're not going to get it through free agency in a situation like Phoenix. So he's trying to get as many uh, opportunities as he could uh, to strike a, a, and win there, and that's how you wind up with uh, you know, Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Ayton and, and to some extent Devin Booker, even though he was a later uh, lottery pick. Oh, we lost you, Tim. Can't hear you. Thank you so much. Uh, and you can refer to me as Mr. Judge. Thank or, you. Or your honor. Uh, your honor. <laughs> this is a question from Fabio for the defense. There is a, a, a question for the prosecution just after that. Fabio says, is the defense implying that Mr. Robert Sarver is an accomplice? Uh I don't know if accomplice is the is the correct word. I'll let you uh, draw your own conclusions in terms of that. But I'm saying if we're supposed to uh, can convict a man of a charge without a, a without reasonable doubt, uh, I think that helps provide some reasonable doubt as to why uh, he may not be uh, guilty of the charge. Okay, and this is for the prosecution, and then for the defense. This is from Rick Johnson. He says. Uh, what went so wrong after McDee initially stashed so many assets before and during his first season? Because he didn't know what to do with those assets. He turned those assets into Marquise Chris. He, he built up all these assets. He got all these things, and then he did nothing good with any of them. The asset he got for uh, Marcin Gortat, he traded him for a first-round pick uh, to clear out the roster just before the 2013 season. Woo! He, used, he got Tyler Ennis for that. Uh, he traded Luis Scola for a first-round pick. He got a European player he never brought over in Bogdan Bogdanovich. We can't even give him credit for that draft pick because he never ended up using him. And then all the other assets he picked up, he only turned them into Marquise Chris and then um, eventually Mikel Bridges. I mean, Mikel Bridges, great. Yes, good. But was that two first-round picks worth? I mean, and, and unprotected? I mean, come on. So, no, he just didn't know what to do with the assets. That's that's why it all went to shit. It's because Ryan McDonough, all he knew was to collect things. He didn't know how to use them. And uh, you can you can blame Robert Sarver for a lot of this shit. Uh, but come on. Time's up. Defense, 30 seconds. You didn't even let me finish my sentence. Okay, finish the sentence. My apologies. You can blame Robert Sarver for a lot of stuff, but decision-making and when Ryan McDonough was on the spot, he always failed. Your Honor, can you repeat the, the question, please? 
what went so wrong after McDonough initially stashed so many assets before and during his first season? Look, there, there's a myriad of factors uh, that, that come up with it. Some of it was poor decision-making. I'm, I'm not here to deny that there wasn't any of that. Some of it was certainly that. Some of it was, when you look at it, you know, you want to talk about leveraging assets. Well, like I mentioned, Shea Gildress-Alexander was one that he was going to leverage those assets for and, and wasn't allowed to. You cannot argue that that would have been a great use of assets at a, at a position of need. Uh, there uh, again you go back to draft night and people were praising his use uh, of assets to be able to get back into the lottery and select uh, Marquise Chris there and you want to look at that I don't think that all the failure of these young players is on him it's on the fact that ownership went next cheap week. went cheap on no it's not ownership went cheap on coaching staff uh it, because they didn't want to pay too much money which then impacts development of young players so that's why some of these draft picks don't wind up uh turning into something because they didn't have the staff there to develop them there's a reason there's player development staffs and they went cheap on it yeah, defense, your time is up. Thank you so much to the jury for the follow-up questions. Now, the closing statements. Let's start with the prosecution. Prosecutor, you have eight minutes. Yeah, the prosecutor is once again trying to gaslight all you guys and, and convince you that Ryan McDonough was not a bad GM. And one of his arguments is that his owner was holding him back. Absolutely, his owner sucks, for sure. But we're not putting Robert Sarver on trial. We're putting Ryan McDonough on trial. And when he made, when he had opportunities to make decisions, they were bad ones, really bad ones. Um, and then he tries to say, well, he's not as bad as Sam Hinkie because they only had two picks left um, after Sam Hinkie's run. We're not putting Sam Hinkie on trial. We're putting Ryan McDonough on trial. The Phoenix Suns franchise had been to the playoffs 29 of 42 years. Before, um, uh, you know, 29, 45 years before Ryan McDonough stepped in. Okay, 29, 45 years. Zero of five years. Zero six for roster building for Ryan McDonough under McDonough. Terrible. Franchise lows. All, all second, third, fourth. All these franchise lows for the Suns in wins. That's bad transaction management. That's bad talent evaluation. He got himself. He, 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 he built a team to lose games, great, to get high draft picks, okay. But then do something good with those draft picks. Anybody could have done better with those draft picks than Ryan McDonough did. Sure, we talked ourselves into these prospects, but Ryan McDonough's job is to know the difference between um, a media-driven draft pick and a guesswork draft pick and a real talent. A GM's job is to know where the real talent is and end up with better players. In fact, James Jones, who had never been a GM before, recognized real talent in Cam Johnson, even though nobody thought the Suns should take Cam Johnson. I actually thought that was one of the better draft picks the Suns have made um, in a 10-plus range uh, um, pick in the draft. I think Cam Johnson is really good. So Ryan McDonough did terrible with the stuff he had. You can't give him a pass because... Um, because of all the all the other reasons outside of it. He just made bad decisions, and that's what we're putting him on trial for today is his bad decisions. Prosecutor, do you rest your case? <sighs> yes, I rest my case. I don't think there's anything else I need to say about Ryan McDonough's tenure as GM. We've put on trial his transaction record, and his transaction record is terrible. 
Thank you very much. Uh, jury, this is your time when we will need your vote. The defense has his eight minutes for his closing statement. Once he starts to wrap that up, please vote in the chat whether or not you thought the prosecution or the defense won today's episode. Defense, Mr. Greg Esposito, you now have eight minutes. Thank you, sir. Your Honor. Look, the prosecution is sitting here and, and screaming at you, trying to connect at some base level to get anger out of you. Uh, I'm going to tell you, as I have this whole uh, trial, that quite frankly, uh, Ryan McDonough made some bad decisions. And the reason I brought up Sam Hinkie was the fact that every the general defense manager bring, uh, makes bad decisions at times. Even the ones that are praised make bad decisions. You go back and people want to love Jerry Colangelo, and I love Jerry as much as the next guy, a huge fan. But you look at his record as a general manager, there are plenty of misses. It's a crapshoot. There's a reason. It's difficult. That's why day, you know people like myself and the prosecutor aren't general managers, because it's a difficult job. It takes a lot. Uh, and if you look at overall, as I've laid out throughout this, it's not as if he missed on everything. Everything wasn't an abject failure. He turned bad situations into first-round picks where nobody thought he could. He found guys like Devin Booker uh, late and TJ Warren late in the lottery. He got DeAndre Ayton uh, where, yeah, you can argue Luka uh, may have a better career, but DeAndre Ayton will go down as the greatest, uh, greatest center in Suns history and has the, has the chance to be one of the better big men uh, of his generation. You look at where the Suns are now, as we established last week, compared to where they were when he took over. They're in a better spot, and if you believe this team has a chance to win a title in the next five years, you believe it because of moves that Ryan McDonough and transactions that Ryan McDonough made. His fingerprints will be all over the next great Suns team if Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Mikhail Bridges are a part of it. So it's tough to convict a man on poor transactions if the, the main pieces that he brought in from his tenure are going to be the centerpieces of the next great Suns team. Yes, there are misses. Yes, Marquise Chris. Uh, Bender. It was a bad draft. As I established, though, some of that is in development of those young players. If you look, Marquise Chris started to find his legs in Golden State, the most stable franchise in the league and that knows how to develop young players. There is talent there. The fact that they weren't developed isn't necessarily on the general manager. All right. There are speed bumps in every general manager's career. I think if you look at it in totality, if you break it down like I like we did and look at individual transactions and the way that they happened uh, and and things, you're you're looking at a, a some bad, some good, some home runs here. You're not looking at an abject failure across the board, and I feel like that's what you need to convict a man of being bad uh, at his transactions, at, at acquiring pieces, and talent. He got a seat at the table with Big Fish. He didn't get them because of other factors, not himself. I don't know what else uh, you would like him to do in that kind of a situation. Again, misses at, at some point I, you know, in terms of draft, I, and I'm not going to say that there weren't. But overall, there, there were pieces that were brought here that are going to be the next great Suns team. He found those guys. He selected them. He's a big part of that, and... I, I, that's what I've got for you. I rest my case. The prosecutor can yell 
all he wants to try to tap into something with you, but there is good here as well. And I beg you to actually think of it in in a logical manner. Uh, Are you ever going to cut him this. off? I'm not at my eight he's minutes. Still got, he's still got two minutes. I, I, rest, I rest my case. I object <laughs> to the prosecutor being a giant dick. Uh, we are going to remove that last statement uh, from consideration. <laughs> we are now strike that dick. <laughs> we are now asking the jurors to weigh in on who they believe won today's episode, whether or not that it's prosecution or the defense. So far, the prosecution has 100% of the votes, but I do want to give uh, a couple of minutes to get those in. And while we're doing so, we did have. A follow-up from MT who said that uh, Buddy Hill, Jamal Murray, Chris LeVert, uh, Sabonis, Pascal Siakam were all on the board when the Suns drafted Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to make uh, one one further argument. If the prosecution no! if the prosecution's a dick, to. you must acquit. Just, all right. <laughs> Uh, let's see. All right. So now we're looking still 100% of the vote coming in for the prosecution. <laughs> Look, they already voted. I, I, oh, no. Oh, okay. They got, yeah, they we'll got one. Argument. Uh, defense has one vote. Andy. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Uh, once once we can uh, meet up and have a beer, uh, you, you will have one uh, for it. I'll just say that you're, you're blaming the player development. Who hires the coaches in player development? Uh, it depends on how messed up your franchise is. No, who hires is. them? Ownership sometimes. The GM. Ownership sometimes. The GM. I, I think we can all agree that you cannot discount the impact of ownership with the Phoenix Suns. Absolutely. I get that. But James Jones and Monty Williams are already doing so much better with that same ownership. That is not true. It's so well, it kind James, of is. James yeah, it Jones, kind of is. It really James is. Jones is is living <laughs> it off kind of, of really absolutely look, definitely look, is. <laughs> James Jones is living off of what Ryan McDonough brought in here. His main players, his stars, are guys Ryan McDonough brought in. You know what what he's accomplished? He brought in uh, he he brought in a backup center. And, and Baines, and Aaron Baines, with, by the way, an asset that he got from Ryan McDonough's tenure uh, with the Suns. No, you cannot credit Ryan McDonough with Aaron Baines. I'm not. I'm just saying. Come on. There, is, there is a logical <laughs> point to um, someone coming in with the assets that somebody else left and being oh, in Ryan a better McDonough place. Ryan McDonough got his I mean, own Ryan, assets. He turned his Ryan, own assets into his own asset into Tyler Ennis. James Jones used an asset to get Aaron Baines. Hey, look, Tyler you did better. Tyler Ennis hit a game-winning shot. Aaron Baines hasn't done that for the Suns. No, you're thinking Euless. Damn, Ennis never hit right. a game-winning. Yeah, I met, I met Euless. Damn it. <laughs> uh, all right, so we are still looking at. Um, it looks like prosecution won handedly. So thank you both so much. Prosecutor and defense. Uh, we do have this one was fun, part. guys. Thank you for participating, everybody in the chat. I loved it. And it, so next week, uh, Dave, go ahead and remind the listeners what we're going to be talking about in the final installment of yep. the trial. So of Ryan part three of the trial is Ryan McDonough's ability to relate to people. That is culture, the culture of the Suns. And Greg, of course, is going to argue that the culture was set and controlled by Robert Sarver. And I'm just going to point out all the things that Ryan McDonough all by himself screwed up. So, um, yes, we all like Greg's shirt and his effort at wearing, uh, you know, looking good for the defense here. And we, we appreciate Tim wearing the jacket and the tie. Thank you very much, Your Honor. 
uh, for doing that. And uh, me, I just threw on an orange tie that I had in the closet. So I appreciate you guys sticking with me and uh, taking my side on this. You, you know what I love is that we're probably both somewhere in the middle of this. <laughs> you know, like, but we're taking taking the sides we've been dealt, so we're having fun. That's with right. It. We're doing our we're doing our job too. That's I, right. I I've enjoyed it, and I think uh, when you consider what we have to talk about in terms of what's go actually going on, this has been a lot of fun. So I appreciate <laughs> it, guys. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll have to stretch this out over six episodes. Kidding, kidding, <laughs> kidding. Thank you guys so very much. Do us a favor, give us a like or a thumbs up down there. Whatever really does help us with those uh, YouTube algorithms. It gets us into the you should also watch video segment or whatever on YouTube. So if you enjoyed the episode, a, a thumbs up would definitely be appreciated. Otherwise, we'll, we will be back again Saturday morning, 7 o'clock Arizona time. Please join us live if you can. Otherwise, you can always watch the episode anytime on YouTube or, of course, if you are listening on the podcast version, we really do appreciate you there as well. Uh, by, by the way, if you Google uh, Ryan McDonough right now, our video shows up on the first page from episode one. So <laughs> right on. We've done our job. And this one will be right in there. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Ahoy, hoy. <laughs>